to see uh, how things are developing and growing here and uh, always encouraged to have the opportunity to come and share with you. Are we doing all right on the sound here? We're doing okay? Yeah. Good. All right, man. Um, <clears throat> when, uh, when you get one opportunity to come and speak to some friends, you always sit there thinking, what's going to be, what, you know, what, what can I really, what can I put over in my heart to you today to nourish and encourage you? I know you're a well-taught church, you're a, a well-led church. And um, as I've been praying, um, you know, I felt God um, stirring me to urge you to not let anything hold you back. Don't let anything hold you back as a church. So it's great to hear just a testimony of, you know, well, this is what attracted us to the church, is this sense of divine discontent. It's holy, you know, we, we, we're very content in God, but we're not satisfied with, uh, you know, the, the activity of an enemy that is uh, holding many, many people in bondage. When we know we have the all-victorious king that we serve, and we want to build communities that show what it's like when we, you know, shape ourselves around the values of our king and see his kingdom come. And I just want to speak into not letting anything hinder you, not letting anything hold you back, uh, whether that's individually, that you might be wrestling or struggling with anything that might stop you from fulfilling your full potential in Christ. And that's our job as leaders, really, is to help you fulfill your full potential. You've been chosen by God and appointed to be fruitful, and we want to be sure that nothing's going to stop that in you, and also that we're here to present one another mature before Christ so that we will be fully formed in our Christian nourishment and development, and also fully uh, fulfilling the potential of God in our lives, what he has called us to, the race that he's marked out for us. So we can say, you know, we've run the race marked out for us. We left it all on the pitch, as we'd say in football, you know. We've done, you, know, I, you know, as for me in my household, yeah, this is it. I've been poured out like a drink offering. All of that stuff, you know, rather, I don't want any of you to fall short and think, oh, you know, I, all this opportunity and potential, and I really don't feel... So, let nothing stop you. And um, there's so many... Uh, there's so many things you can reach for in Scripture. But I, I'm going to reach for a very familiar story, one that many of you will have read many, many times, and that's the story of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. Um, you know, I, I think... Many of us here may have grown up in Christian households and be familiar with this story, but increasingly we have to be aware that there will be people joining us who don't have any Christian heritage. And uh, these stories might think are very familiar, but um, it, you know, it's, it's useful sometimes to remind ourselves. I haven't got time, there's about 50 or 60 verses to go all the way through reading it, so please read it as your homework. But the summary of the story is this, and that is that there's uh, uh, battle lines have been drawn up between the, uh, the armies of Israel and the armies of the Philistines, who were the enemies of God's people at that time. Now, if you follow anything in geopolitical history, you'll find that not, nothing much has changed over the last few thousand years, that you'll find Israel and her neighbours disputing some territory in some area of the Middle East. That has been going. If you transported all these guys 
David and the armies uh, of Israel and, and uh, Goliath and the armies of the Philistines brought them forward into modern day uh, Israel, they would be very familiar with what's going on. With a dispute over territory, that's another story. But here we go, the battle lines are drawn up. It's an unusual battle. It's not a normal battle where two armies would just go at it with each other, uh, you know, hammer and tongs. No, the, the Philistines have said, look, we're going we're gonna to nominate our best soldier, and we're going to stick him out there, and then you nominate your best soldier, and they can have a fight, and whoever wins takes, you know, winner takes all, takes the spoils. So the Philistines, they, this was their idea, <laughs> because they knew they had an absolute humdinger. They had this guy, Goliath, who was, you know, he might be named on foot tall or whatever, huge guy, sort of Tyson Fury of his day, right, who's going to take him on? And Israel were not keen, uh, at least they couldn't find anybody who was particularly keen in taking this on. And so into this story comes David, he was sort of the youngest boy in his family, he was a bit hidden in the background, you know, uh, looking after the sheep. And he sort of sent along to bring packed lunches for his brothers in the, uh, in the uh, sort of looking out over the valley looking at the enemy across the valley. And he's, and he's there, he hears Goliath coming out, and Goliath is taunting them. And he's saying, what is going on here? You know, what, what, are we, just, are we gonna let him do this? And all his brothers and all the other soldiers are saying, look, you've no idea, you're out of your league here. You know, you've no idea what you're talking about. And he said, oh, come on, there's this great verse, in 1 Samuel 17, where it says, you know, can't I even speak? And, uh, you know, it can sound like a petulant teenager. But actually, the sense behind it is much more than that. He's saying, are we going to stand for this? Are we going to stand for this? Are we going to let the enemy speak to us like this? This is the arm, and we're the people of God. And we're letting this bloke speak to us like this. Is there not a cause, it says in the King James Version? Do, are, you know, are we going to stand for this? Can't I even speak? Who's going to do something about this? So somehow he finds himself with the king, Saul, volunteering to go and sort this out. And Saul lets it through, and so they stick his armour on and a sword. He said, no, this is no good for me. I'm not used to wearing this stuff. So he goes in his ordinary work clothes. He goes and grabs his sling and five smooth stones, it says in the Bible. Now, if you've ever been to the British Museum, is, uh, which is one of my favorite places, <laughs> I love going, I was there just the other week with my youngest son, just, just showing him around. Just, it validates our narrative, it nourishes my faith, just to see all of this evidence about our, our Judeo-Christian heritage. It's fantastic. But in one of the rooms, the Siege of the Quiche, that's a great room to go to, all right? They've got a number of uh, slingshots. So this is the shot that, con con you know, contemporary with David, that they would have used in their slings. And the thing is, we've got this little bit of an image of David with his sling, yeah. a bit like our little toy catapults, you know, so, ping, with a little marble. Look at that, he's knocked a nine-foot guy over, you know. Ping. No, these slings, they're about two metres long. And the, the shot is about the size of an orange, 
medium-sized orange, weighs about a kilogram, a couple of pounds. Now, let me tell you, <laughs> if someone came up with a two-metre sling and chucked a, two, a kilogram stone, that would give you a headache as well. Right? <laughs> so it's quite interesting to see this. So David takes his stone, gets Goliath smacked first time, shot, you know, I, I'm coming in the name of God, you know, you come with swords and shields, I'm coming in the name of the Lord. And uh, first time, first shot, boom, straight in the middle of his head. He's flat on his face, and David comes over to Goliath, kills him, cuts off his head. Kills him, cuts off his head. And the enemies, uh, the army of the enemy, the Philistines, they're routed, they, they lose their nerve, they run for the hills. Israel chase them down, kill them all, come back, plunder the camp. And Saul turns to, I love these details that you read in the Bible, Saul turns to the captain of his army and basically says, Who's, <laughs> whose son is that? You know, Who, whose son is that? Who is this guy? And the captain of the army says, I, I have not got a clue. <laughs> I have no idea who it is. So they, they go out to find out who he is. And they bring David to see Saul. And David's still got the head of Goliath in his hand. <laughs> yep, yeah, you want to see me? You know. And uh, they said, well, who, who are you? He said, well, I'm, I'm the son of Jesse from Bethlehem. Remember that. We're going to come back to that in a moment. All right? So this is the story of David completely defeating Goliath and routing the enemy of God's people. And often when we speak about David, um, you know, we can portray ourselves in the shoes of David. And that's great to do that. We'll be doing that a little bit later on. In this uh, this message, you know, we, we we sort of we speak about putting ourselves in David's shoes and overcoming the Goliaths in our lives, the giants in our lives, and that's a perfectly legitimate way to um, uh, apply this scripture, and we'll be doing that shortly. But you don't want to miss the full weight and impact of this story. The clue being David, the son of Jesse from Bethlehem. David is, is a, what we, we describe as a type of Jesus. So typology in Christian thinking concerns what we, um, what we understand to be the relationship, particularly between the, the narratives of the Old Testament and the New Testament, events, people or statements in the Old Testament seen as illustrations to us of events or aspects that are going to be revealed in the New Testament, particularly in the life of Christ. So, one example, Jonah may be seen as a type of Christ, and in fact, Jesus himself refers to this. He said, oh, you know, Jonah's a sign, you know, and he was three days in the belly of a whale and came out to preach repentance, you know, to, and I was, you know, I'm going to be three days in a tomb. He was prefiguring that. He describes that as a sign. David, his story, his emergence as the divinely anointed king of Israel is a rich type of the messianic kingship of Christ. 
as our deliverer, particularly here in this encounter between David and Goliath. Goliath is this huge and terrible enemy that no one is able to withstand and has struck fear and doom into every heart. He is a type of the devil. He's representing the devil. This is no ordinary battle. It's going to be settled by one representative from each side. It's exactly what we see in uh, Christ's battle with, over the devil and over evil. David was sent into battle by his father Jesse. And we know that Jesus is from the stump of Jesse. He's from the line of Jesse from Bethlehem. And we know whose son he is. Yeah? Who is this who comes against our enemy? It's the son of Almighty God. This is who he is. We know who he is. Yeah? David sent into battle by his father. Uh, Jesus sent into battle by his father, down to battle on earth on our behalf. David um, and Jesus both rejected and not taken seriously by their brothers. You see these parallels? David had learnt dependence upon God and obedience to God and this equipped him to take on Goliath. You know, he said, well, you know, I've learnt how to deal, I've, I've dealt with the bear and the, the lion, I can deal with this guy. You know, I've been, I'm prepared for this. And similarly, we read in Hebrews 5 how Jesus himself learned obedience and it was through obedience even to the cross that he was able to defeat the devil. So we can see how David's decisive victory over Goliath speaks to us of the full and final victory of Christ over Satan. Amen. Okay? In this story, David is a type of Jesus. Goliath is a type of the devil. We are the doomed and fearful Israelites. Jesus has won the victory. We are delivered from our enemy to live a free life rejoicing in the full benefits of what Christ has obtained for us. <laughs> Jesus Christ is Lord of the nations. He's enthroned on righteousness and justice. His blood has overcome the enemy of our souls. He is our mighty deliverer. Hallelujah. Christ has taken on the enemy of our souls. He has defeated him through dependence and obedience to God. And he has cut off his head. So, what does it mean for us to live in the freedom of this victory? And this is where I'm coming to, not, let nothing hold you back. Because our enemy has been defeated. No? He doesn't have the power to hold you back anymore unless you give him the power. But he can't take that power. It's just we give him. We give him permission and power to hinder us. Right? Christ has won the decisive victory. He no longer has power and authority over us. We have been delivered, for those who put our trust in Jesus Christ, we've been delivered from the dominion of darkness into the kingdom of the Son whom God loves. We're in his kingdom now. You know, we... So Satan doesn't have that authority over us anymore. Are you living in the good of the full and decisive victory of Jesus Christ? 
Here's another hymn, you'll be familiar. Long, my imprisoned spirit lay. Fast bound in sin, nature's night. Your eye diffused a quickening ray, and I woke, and the, the dungeon flamed with light, and my chains fell off, and my heart was free, and I rose and I went forth. And I followed him. Yeah? Now, in my experience, my pastoral experience, which is accumulating rapidly <laughs> over a rapidly accumulating number of years. Um, what I've discovered is this. It's not uncommon, and I say this out of a, a heart of fatherly tenderness, not out of any you know, criticism or condemnation. This is the battle for us. It's not uncommon for the Christian to accept that Christ has won the victory over sin and death in our lives, and he's loosened the chains, and he's smashed the lock on the dungeon, and he's thrown open the door, and he's cleared the path to freedom, and yet, so often, the Christian can remain sat where he was, with the chains on the floor, with the door open, but still sat in the cage. And still living as if Satan still has that authority, still living like a captive, and not walking into the freedom that Christ has made, made possible for them. Don't let anything hold you back. He's broken the power of sin and death. The things that held us captive before we met Christ no longer have that power in our lives. They don't have that power anymore. Unless we allow it to have that power. Okay, but that power is now broken. We stand up and walk out and live in the good of that victory. That's what we need to do. Okay. Don't let anything hold you back. We're now saints. We're not sinners. I was in a great call the other Saturday. We had about 15 or so leaders from churches in Sweden. And I had Terry Virgo uh, for two hours. They were interrogating him about the grace of God. And it was brilliant. And they were saying, am I, one of them said, am I, now, am I a sinner or a saint? And Terry said, you're no longer a sinner. This is a status thing. No, you know, we'd be foolish to say that we never make mistakes and we don't sin. You know, in, in 1 John 2, it says, you know, I tell you these things so, so that you don't sin. But if you do sin, you've got <laughs> Jesus, our mediator, who is ready and able to forgive us our sins. But we don't have the appetite for sin anymore. We don't pursue, we don't cherish sin anymore. Because I'm not, that's not my status anymore. I'm not a sinner anymore. I'm a saint. Paul writes to the saints in the Bible. He says, I'm writing to you saints here. You holy ones. Yeah? Who he is making perfect. I'm not perfect, but I am made holy by the blood of Jesus. And I'm acceptable to him. I'm on the right side of the cross. So in Isaiah, in Isaiah 6, he's saying, I'm done for because I've seen the throne. I've seen the throne. Now woe to me. I'm unclean. My holiness you know, my lack of my, my unholiness is going to be vaporized in the presence of a holy God. He cannot tolerate any sin in his presence. And if we go in with our filthy hands, we'll just be vaporized. And Isaiah knew this. He's going, oh no, I've seen the throne. I'm done for. You know. No. You know, you know the story. His sin was atoned for, and then they sent him. Now we're on the other side of the cross, and you read in Hebrews where it says, you know, now we approach the throne with confidence. Yeah. <laughs> Which is beautiful. I love this. I love this. Now we approach the throne with confidence. Why? Because Christ 
has defeated the enemy of our souls and he has dealt with the curse of sin and death and I am able to come into God's presence as a clean man not because I've done well today but because I am hidden in the righteousness of Jesus Christ who has paid for my sins and taken my punishment so I can now come with confidence to God in the throne and say <laughs> and then Jesus said look hey now as the Father sent me I'm sending all of you Send all of you. Who should we send? The lot of you. You're all going. <laughs> Let nothing hold you back. Okay? You're all going. You're all sent. Uh, I'm still getting to my point. Distracted on this. Right, here's this is what I wanted to get to, alright? Paul in 1 Corinthians 6, you've got your Bibles there. This is a critical verse. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 12. Let me just get my water. One Corinthians 6 verse 12 says, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but I will not be mastered by anything. Right? I love this verse. Now that Christ is my master, I will not be mastered by anything. Alright? Christ, I've given my life to Jesus now. Alright? It's not just the benefits of salvation and knowing now that I have been uh, you know, declared clean by God and acceptable to Him. It's not just that. It's now that my life doesn't belong to me anymore. It's been bought. I've handed it over to someone else. This is what it means to carry our cross. So I was chatting about this with uh, Rachel, my wife, the other day. She, she was reading this thing. I'm not sure I've ever really understood what it means to carry, carry my cross. Because that has, carries a sense with it of, you know, it's a struggle and hardship and this is really difficult and it's really hard and it's really painful and sacrificial. And yet Jesus says, you know, hey, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Yeah, but it's got to be it's really difficult. I'm carrying a cross here. Now what it means to carry a cross is we say, I'm putting to death my selfish way of living my life. That's what it means. I say every day we climb on the altar as living sacrifices, it says in Rose. I'm, I'm putting to death my selfish ambitions and now I'm doing what Jesus wants for my life. And that yoke is easy and that burden is light. That's what it means. That's what it means to carry a cross, is you're killing yourself. That's it. I'm, you know, I am rubbish at running my own life. I don't know what I'm doing. I haven't got a clue. He knows better. So I'm going to kill my own ambitions and preferences and lifestyle choices. And wouldn't it be nice if I had this successful career and bought this beautiful house and had wonderful foreign holidays every year? And I've got the rest of eternity to explore. A redeemed heaven and earth. You know? I have to worry. But, you know, we get caught up in the things of this world. No, if you, cruci if you crucified with Christ and you're carrying your cross, the things of this world grow strangely dim. And he puts desires in your hearts. And his yoke is easy and his burden is light. So, now Christ is my master. I keep getting distracted. <laughs> well, I'm going to be. How long have I got until? Uh, 15. Right, here we go. Right, Christ is my master. I will not be mastered by anything. What is mastering your life? What is, 
What? Because if you're allowing anything than Christ to master you, then you will be held back. And I don't want you to be held back. And that's why it's taken me the best part of 20 or 30 minutes to get to this point to demonstrate to us that there is nothing that will hold us back because Christ is now my master and he has defeated the enemy of my soul and so anything that he might throw at me, I can now overcome. Nothing will hold me back. And so if we see something contending for mastership in your life, you are able in all integrity and authority to say, you are not my God. You are not my God. Christ is my master. So, where should we go? I've got 12 things that could hold us back. We might get through two or three. Let's start with, let's start with sin. That's always a good, uh, well, not a good place to start, but one that is good to, good to get ticked off. All right? One thing that I'm not going to be mastered by, I'm not going to be mastered by sin. In Romans 6.14, sin shall no longer be your master. It's in the Bible. <laughs> I can't help it. It's just one thing leads to another. No, sin is not going to be your master. Oh, you know, it's just I can't break this habit. Is it? No, grow up. You're bigger than that. You've got a high calling. Live a life worthy of your high calling. Don't fool around with this stuff. It's not, it's not your master. The sin, sin can't tell you what to do. There was a time when you were a slave to sin and you had to go where sin, where sin takes you. Yeah, That's what a slave does. Okay, I've got to go that way. Can't help it. Yeah? But now, sin is no longer your master. Oh, I don't have to do that anymore. Yeah, I'm above sin now. Yeah, we're foolish if we say we've never sinned. That's ridiculous, and the Bible doesn't say that. But it's not our appetite anymore. Yeah. It's not, it's not, you know, it's not, we're not into that anymore. You know? I thought, why would I do that? Why would I fool around with that? When I've got all of this, you know, and I, I'm not powerless. In fact, the Bible goes even further. It's not that you're no longer a slave to sin and that, in a sense, you're in sort of like a neutral position or it couldn't happen, it couldn't happen. It says, no, no. It says, now we are slaves to righteousness. And this is a phenomenal verse because it's basically saying that in Christ we have to go where righteousness leads us. And we're slaves to that now. We're in his righteousness. We're not trusting in our own righteousness. We're trusting in his we're slaves now. We have to go where that righteousness leads us. And so none of us, don't let it hold you back. Can, don't, none of us can say, I can't help it. This habit of sin can't help it. You know, this inappropriate relationship world is one thing to another. No, you've got a choice. You've got a choice. Every point, every point in the journey to increasing engagement with sin, you've got a choice. The, the enemy doesn't have that power in your life anymore. And if you tell me he does, I don't believe you. All right? You now, in Christ Jesus, can overcome anything that the enemy will throw at you. Now, some of us get very dug deep into besetting sin, and it takes time to break habits, to break patterns of thought, to break dependencies. That can happen. We can help you. Don't be ashamed. Yeah. Come, come to those who love and trust you. 
and that you love and trust. And so please help me. I'm trapped here. All right? Yeah, you're trapped, but the enemy cannot hold you there. Yeah. And we can help you get out. All right? With prayer and with battling for your mind, battling to allow the word of Christ to dwell in you richly. This is the key. The key is to shape your heart around what is true and not to shape it around what is a lie. That is the key. If you're, what's the key to Christian existence? Well, primarily, chief among them, among the top things I would list is shape your heart around what is true. I do it every day. It's like, it's like, it's like bathing every day. I bathe myself in what is true because the enemy is trying to tell me other things. I'm trying to tell myself other things. You know, who do you think you are, Morris? What do you, what, you know, da 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 You know, and uh, the enemy's trying to, blah, blah, blah. that's his job description. He's the accuser of the brothers, blah, 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 blah. He's accusing us. Uh, other people accuse us, you know, you're rubbish, da da da. No, well, whose report am I going to believe? God thinks I'm great. That's all right for me. All right? Yeah, but you don't know, my, you know. Whose opinion matters the most to you? This is what it means to let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. You know, you say, well, you know, my, my parents, you know, they, they didn't affirm me. Oh, yeah, well, that's, that's painful. But the King of Heaven says that you are without blemish and free from accusation. All right? Who's important? Is, who, who's, whose opinion is more important to you? You know? Yeah, but I know, I know God says he loves me, but I know what I'm like. Oh, so you're God now. So you know better than God. Wow, who'd have known? Don't do it, don't do it. If you give authority to other people's words above the authority of the words of God, you have made them God. If you have decided that I'm beyond, I'm beyond redemption and I'm beyond forgiveness and I've made too many mistakes and how could God ever forgive me and how could he ever... Well, then you have made an idol of yourself. Or if you are shaped by the words of someone else in your history, whether it be in your family or in your, you know, if someone has said words that have shaped you and put a ceiling on you, you have made them an idol in your life. Because you've given their words more authority than the words of God. Don't let anything hold you back. Let the words of Christ dwell in you richly. Sin will no longer be our master. It's not going to hold us back. Secondly, here we go, a city. A very popular sin in the Middle Ages, not so spoken about today. Spelled A-C-C-I-D-I-E. It's the sin of passivity. It's the sin of withholding. It's the sin of not taking responsibility. Now I'm speaking particularly to a younger generation among us here, where I think seeds have been sown in the hearts of our young people to be terrified of taking responsibility because the consequences are there for everybody to see social media doesn't help us but it's easy to criticize others and hide behind social media anonymity than to actually stand up and say we're going to do something about this so a city was drawn into passivity it was often considered a significant sin in generations past it hasn't changed we read about the sloth and the lazy man of proverbs Paul in his writings often speaking against passivity and withdrawal, but it's more than just apathy, 
is like almost beyond caring. It's almost like, who cares? Yeah, I read one commentator who said this, a general mood beyond cynicism that says nothing can be fixed, things won't get better, nothing's worth the effort. And he goes on and he says, it becomes difficult for the thoughtful individual to remain cheerful in the midst of such a society. <laughs> this is probably, I think it's, things look too, it's too difficult, what's the point, you know? It's actually a sin to see what should be done and not do it. To do nothing is a sin when God requires something to be done. Also, we know in Matthew 11, 12, that as the kingdom advances, forceful people take hold of it. Not passive people. Not, not people that are on for a ride. If people say, I'm all in. I'm all in for this. We're going to go for this. From the days of John the Baptist until now the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. Not by passivity, but by initiative, by action, saying, I'm, I'm doing this. I'm not going to just sit back and let this... I'm not going to... This is what David was saying. You know, are we going to let this happen? Are we going to let this happen? You know, oh, Morris, you know, there's a tide of evil in our day. We've untethered ourselves from all the biblical principles that shaped our culture for hundreds of years. Now we've turned our back and thought, oh, it's terrible. We'll do something about it. Let's build something here that demonstrates that if we do it God's way, it's good. It's good for us. If we shape ourselves as a community around the way God wants it for us, it will be better for us. It will be better for us. See how they are. Some of the, I heard someone just praying earlier about the sort of quality of community we're building here. You know, see how they love one another. By this way they'll know that you're my disciples, says Jesus. So let's not withhold. Let's not, not, not be afraid of responsibility. Let's not lack ambition for God. Let's not expect someone else to take the responsibility, just shrugging our shoulders, well, there's nothing we can do. No, we're all in. Let's not blame shift. Let's not blame other people. You know? Oh, yeah, you know, well, it's, nothing, you know, it's their responsibility. No, no, no. We've got massive responsibility to shape the affairs of this community. Let's not be passive about that. God is looking for people who are going to take initiative. Don't let anything hold you back. Um, what else then in three minutes? Anger. All right. Don't let anger hold you back. Jesus is unimpressed with anger. He equates it with murder in Matthew's five, Matthew 5. That, you know, no. Don't use anger as an excuse not to, or don't, don't live with anger. Don't be an angry person. You know, don't be one of those people who, you know, it's, it's one of the, it, it, it could be a bit of silent sin. You know, some sins are obvious. You see, you know, some, you know, sinning in a way that you think, well, that's obvious. Anger could be one that's not always obvious, but it goes on. People who know you well uh, know, no, <laughs> it's obvious to them because they have to live with it. You know, whether you're, uh, I mean, you know, sort of one of these people who explodes irrationally with anger or you, you simper away in silent reproach or, or, you know, or, you, or you manipulate people trying to put them down a peg, you know, using your anger through sarcasm and cynicism and that. Don't let anger hold you back. Honestly, don't. It's not something that is compatible with someone looking to ful fulfill their potential. And yet I, I so often find it's lurking in people's hearts. You know, they're angry. Often it's because something that they were hoping for hasn't worked out. You know, and uh, we need to we need to deal with this. 
bitterness. Don't hold on to past hurt. You know, see to it that, it says in Hebrews 12, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Don't allow bitterness to hold you back. The power of forgiveness. I remember someone describing unforgiveness as a poison that you drink, expecting the other person to die. That's a brilliant definition of unforgiveness. Are you living with unforgiveness? You know, someone who has offended you, sinned against you, someone that didn't meet your expectations, someone that failed to deliver what you were hoping they were going to deliver, someone that abused you, someone that, you know, well, you've got to learn the power of forgiveness because it will set you free. And unforgiveness is you taking the poison, hoping that they're going to die. doesn't work. Don't let unforgiveness hold you back. Don't let fear hold you back. The Bible's full of this. Don't fear. I've redeemed you. I've called you by name. You are mine. He's never going to leave you or forsake you. Don't be afraid. Don't be discouraged. There's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Don't let fear shape your trajectory. I'm afraid of what people might say. Who cares what they say? God thinks you're right. I'm afraid of what, you know, uh, if it goes wrong. I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of this. And what will people think? What will this? Don't let fear rule your life. It doesn't have the power over you anymore. If you're in the love of God, it throws out fear. So if you're living with fears, I'm not speaking in, to condemn you or to criticise you. I'm saying we've all got to wrestle through this stuff. But if you're living with fears, you're not living in the love of God. <coughs> Because his love burns those fears out. You come to understand, well, you know, what am I afraid of? What can the enemy, what's the worst the enemy can do to me here? Yeah. Yeah, don't let, don't let fear hold you back. Don't let what people say hold you back. You know, what are people saying about me? What are they thinking about me? It's actually, it's actually a form of vanity. Yeah. Don't let guilt hold you back. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Don't let addiction hold you back. If the sun sets you free, you'll be free indeed. Don't let loneliness hold you back. He put you in a family. He takes the lonely and places them in family. Low self-image or self-esteem. Don't let it hold you back. Because God loves you with an everlasting love. You know? Insignificant? Well... King of kings thinks you're great. So why do you think you're insignificant? Who's, you're listening to someone's voice there, aren't you? You're listening to someone's voice, whether it's you know, insignificance or self-esteem or whatever. We, no, no, no Christian who's listening to the voice of God should be struggling with these things. I'm saying that not to condemn anybody here. I'm just saying this is the freedom that is offered to you. Don't be trapped in thinking, well, you know, I'm just making up numbers here. No, he's got you know, purposes and plans for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. And he's chosen you to bear fruit, not to be a dry branch that's just cut off and thrown in the fire. No, that's not what he's got for you. He's got fruitfulness for you. That's why he chose you. You didn't choose, he chose you to be fruitful. So don't, don't sit there saying, well, I'm useless, I've got nothing to offer here. 
Well, that's not true. Let the, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Insecurity, what's more secure than the loving arms of God? Don't throw away your confidence. So don't allow anything to stop you. Don't let anything master you, because Christ is your master. You know, Jesus may, faced many situations that could have mastered him. Mastered him. I'm coming into land now. <laughs> Here we go. So you can read this through from Mark 4 and forwards, but you see Jesus in the storm. Creation tries to master Jesus. You know, Jesus and Legion, hell and the demonic hordes try to master him. Jesus and the sick woman, sickness tries to master Jesus. Jesus and Jairus' daughter, death tries to master him. Jesus and the mockers, mockery tries to master him. And his hometown, you know, the, even people in his hometown doubted him, doubt tried to master him. You know, <clears throat> Jesus overcame all this. He did not throw away his confidence. He did not allow these things to master him. He has made a way for us. He is not mastered by creation or by hell or by sickness or by death or by mockery or by doubting friends and neighbours, by the persecution of his dearest friends and colleagues. Jesus overcame all forms of intimidation and has made a way for us. Religious leaders, Roman authority, the desertion of his closest friends at his time of greatest need, and they remained his closest friends. Yeah. <laughs> Hear that? None, you know, he was deserted by his closest friends, they remained his closest friends. So he overcame offence. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think this is often something I see you know, dear Christian brothers and sisters struggle with. They've been offended. Trying to overcome a fence. We've got to learn. My friend Grantley says we've got to learn to be unoffendable. Okay. Don't be offended. If you're offended, you get you get trapped. Well, Jesus, he was deserted by his closest friends. They remained his closest friends. He he was not mastered by Satan. He overcame Satan, the temptation, the Garden of Gethsemane, the cross, his own death. He's overcome it all yeah. and made a way for us. Yeah. Even his own family attempted to intimidate him. Emotional blackmail. Let nothing stop you. Do not throw away your confidence. We're going to face intimidation on all sides. Yeah? And we remind ourselves of who we are in Jesus. Right? That's where we start. Our starting point is God is pleased with us. He's, we're acceptable because we're in the beloved. That's where we start. That's our flaw, not our ceiling. And then we build from there, okay? Being found secure in Christ in the promises and realities of his grace. Knowing his approval, his presence and power, that's, that's our starting point. And don't let anything hold you back. Can I pray for you just in, uh, in closing, all right? So just where you sat now, I just want to invite you just to bow your head. And uh, if you feel comfortable, just open your hands to heaven. Just uh, search your heart for a moment and just say, God, bring anything to mind that might, uh, I might be allowing to have more authority and influence in my life than it deserves. Just, you know, we're not going to be mastered by anything, Paul says. I'm going to be mastered. Now Jesus is my master. I'll let nothing master me. So I just want to give you just a moment just to do a quick audit of your heart. Is God bringing something to mind 
maybe some fear, maybe some uh, angerness or some area of sin, maybe a sort of you know you've been a bit reluctant to stand up, step up and take responsibility, maybe in the home, in the marriage or parenting or you know, just a, there's some area of sin in your life, some secret prison, cage, secret torment that you can't even bring yourself to tell anybody about. Well look, Sin is not your master. Right? The, the, the cage is open. And people that you love and trust can help you out. And you can live in the freedom of the full and decisive victory of Christ over the enemy of your soul. So I pray now, continue to raise up this beautiful community of believers, of followers of, of you, Jesus. Continue to raise them up, Lord. Continue to clear the obstacles. Lord, if there are things in their hearts, in their histories, in their experiences that have thrown a log across their tracks that has, is hindering them in any way, Lord God, will you allow the word of Christ to dwell in them richly, that they would understand that they have authority over the uh, power and works of the devil in their lives to to uh, pray that this would be banished that if they resist the enemy he will flee that he doesn't have that authority anymore sin is no longer our master we're, we're not just uh, little uh, sort of slave dogs going where the lead will, will pull us and tug us no we we're we're free men and women we can stand up we're no, we're with christ and with him all things are possible and I can, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can, I can overcome all of these things that would hinder me. Words that have been spoken right now, I break them in the name of Jesus. Words that have been spoken that have put a ceiling, a, a glass ceiling of expectation over yourself. Think, well, that, I can never do that because those words were spoken over me. Well, they don't have that power. They don't have that power unless you give them that power. Don't give power. Don't listen to people who don't listen to God. Don't listen to people who say words to you that are not from heaven. Because only good things come from God. Yeah? yeah. Only good things, you know, every good thing comes from heaven. And if there are words that are limiting you and restraining you, if there are episodes in your history that are holding you back, Jesus has overcome it all. And with you, he can help you overcome it all. Do not live with the lie of being trapped because it's not true it's not true so we pray freedom lord over each other we pray freedom over this community let it be fruitful and grow lord let its influence grow in this town let it flavor and shape the culture of this town and let many be sent from here lord be fruitful and multiply we bless this we say let it be fruitful and let it multiply across essex across the east of england to many nations beyond for many years to come, we pray, Lord Jesus, let it be fruitful and let your goodness and your kindness and your gentleness be evident to all. And let it pour from this place through the streets of this town and to the regions beyond. We pray this for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen.